listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome. You're listening to Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and today in studio I have with me a special guest. I have Dr. Pisha Houston, who is a resident in the Gwinnett Medical Center Family Practice Residency Program. I also have with me David Donaldson, who is the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center. Welcome. Glad you're both here today. Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be here. We're going to talk about a subject that I think is really important and somewhat overlooked as we understand the role of the family care, the family practice physician, the primary care physician in terms of managing so many very complex problems, including the disease of addiction. But before we get into that, um, Dr. Houston, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be a part of the residency training program? Absolutely. Um, so, again, I'm Dr. Houston. Um, I am originally a resident of Louisiana, been a resident of Georgia for about 15 years now, and absolutely love it. Um, I started my medicine career at Georgia um, Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, um, and then I began residency training as a family medicine physician at Gwinnett Medical Center in 2014. And currently, um, I am working at the Strickland Family Medicines Clinic. We are very happy to have you here, and we're very grateful to the Gwinnett Medical Center Family Practice Residency Program for allowing the Atlanta Healing Center to be part of the training of the family practice residents. This is really a forward-thinking move, I, I believe, on the part of um, the Gwinnett Medical Center Family Practice Residency Training Program. How is that for a mouthful? <laughs> uh, in terms of recognizing the importance of educating our family practice and primary care doctors in recognizing and treating the disease of addiction. Really, there are not very many residency training programs of any kind in the United States, except some that train for addiction medicine itself, that address it in the same manner. And uh, we're very pleased and happy to have you as residents rotating through our practice. Thank you. I'm particularly p- pleased. Um, I, I believe you're our third class of residents that have come through, and, and each time um, they've had more opportunity to experience the family portion that we offer. And I, I find that piece of, of the, the education just absolutely crucial because real often what you're dealing with is is family members expressing their concerns and and. Um, they're they're a part of the puzzle that you don't get to see any training on, and and they have total influence as to whether our patients are successful, and I think also whether your patients are successful if the family is on board and and understands the process. So having you guys be a part of that has been really mm-hmm. wonderful in my perspective. And I think that's an important point. And in fact, just before coming to the station today, we were talking about a situation where a family uh, had set a very strict boundary with uh, one of their young adults, who's a patient in our program, with, uh, if you relapse again, this is going to be your serious and severe consequence. And yet we have a session, an interview with the patient, and find out that 
Yes, they relapsed. No, there wasn't a consequence. Yes, there was a threat of another consequence if it happens one more time. And when we ask this uh, young adult whether or not they thought that the family was actually going to go through with it, they answered, no, I don't think so, because they would have done it this time if they were really going to go through with it. So understanding that the family has to be part of the treatment plan, which is not news for you because you treat the whole family, hence the name of uh, of your specialty. But it is a very important part uh, for people to experience and understand the getting the patient well is only part of the challenge and having the family get into health is very important too. Absolutely. I totally agree. I think that the family's uh, part in this is is one of the most important parts to play because without that emotional support, that financial support that the family is giving, you know, the patients won't really be as successful as they can be. Um, and there has to be consequence, consequences on part of the family um, in, you know, dealing with the patients. The, there's the son, the daughter, whoever that patient is, and setting those boundaries and, um, you know, enforcing those rules. Otherwise, you know, uh, the patient is, is, you know, very likely to relapse. Very, very likely to relapse and to do so without much concern about a problem, a consequence. (laughs) So when we think about family medicine and when we think about primary care, there has been a, a tremendous shift in medicine towards having the family practice doctor, the primary care doctor, be the medical home for the patient. That not only will you provide their medical care, but you'll oversee, you'll quarterback specialty care, and that you'll make sure that the social work needs and the the literal medical needs Uh, all of the things that the patient uh, might need may become part of the work that you do. And this has been a a real shift, I think, over the last years. And that greatly increases uh, the amount of things you have to know and the amount of resources you have to be familiar with. Absolutely. Um, I think that uh, the family physician is the first physician that the pa- that patients usually encounter. And with the growing population of people that have insurance, the growing population of elderly patients and other people needing care, uh, we are more and more uh, constricted to seeing more patients in, in a less period of time. And oftentimes, you know, their access to specialty care, a referral, roles may be limited based on income and other circumstances. So we do have to wear many hats. Um, We have to be their counselors, um, you know, provide their OBGYN care, uh, you know, various other things that we're responsible for, you know, giving to that patient. Um, And so we have to be trained in all areas um, of medicine for that. It's overwhelming. I find it hard to keep up with my own specialty. (laughs) I can't imagine having to keep up with all the specialties and all the changes in medications and treatment guidelines that you have to keep up with to manage the patients that are coming to see you. It's a lot of work. I remember back in the olden days when I was in residency, 
um, it was in the mid 90s, or excuse me, the mid 80s. Ooh, I wish it was the <laughs> mid 90s. The mid 80s. And at that point, a major thing happened that had a real impact on primary care, which was that Prozac was released as a medication. Now, before that, the medicines that were used to treat depression had such significant side effects and were actually quite dangerous in overdose. And unfortunately, many people who are depressed are suicidal Mm -hmm. and going to overdose. So if someone was depressed, there was a real quick referral to the psychiatrist because the medications were potentially lethal, high level of bad side effects, took a lot of persuading to get a patient to be willing to take it. When Prozac came along, a medication that had minimal side effects, not much of a risk of overdose, there was a shift, which in many ways I celebrated because there are too few psychiatrists to be able to treat all the depressed people in this country. On the other hand, um, in providing this additional care where someone might be willing to see their primary care doctor and talk about their depression. They might be more reluctant to go to a psychiatrist. So I saw, oh, the access to this important life-saving treatment is going to be much greater. But then I began to hear from my colleagues that now the pressure for them to be the ones who treat all the depression and all of the anxiety and only if there's a very significant mental illness are you allowed by some insurance companies to refer that patient on. So it just heaped more work on all of you to now provide psychiatric care and now we're talking about addiction care in the family practice um, clinic and practice and that is um, wonderful news because it will allow a lot more access for people that might not be able to have um, treatment but on the other hand it really adds to the work that you have to do. It definitely does add to the work that we have to do, but oftentimes, you know, patients come in and we've established a very good relationship with our patients and they begin to trust us after seeing us for many years. And oftentimes they will allow us to treat their depression or their Mm -hmm. mental illness uh, rather than go to a specialist, a psychiatrist, and, you know, get treated for that depression. And there's still a stigma associated with mental illness and they're likely to go to a provider that they trust and that they're Mm -hmm. familiar with. And so very important then that programs like Gwinnett Medical Center provide access for the residents to these kinds of treatment providers to learn a little bit more about how to recognize some of the symptoms and how to treat them and to help that patient get better because I think you're absolutely right. Patients are going to be much more likely to talk to you and ask for help from you than a stranger or to even make that phone call to set up an appointment. That's That takes a lot of either desperateness or a lot of courage for a patient to pick up a phone and to call the Atlanta Healing Center Mm -hmm. or to call um, a psychiatric treatment center to get some help. And that's why it's such a... 
a good opportunity for us to be able to work along with you and to kind of see what the patients are going through as they undergo their addiction treatment and talking with the families um, and other providers that are involved with your facility. So definitely thank you. <laughs> well, we're happy so to I'm, have you. I'm thinking pop quiz. Um, <laughs> what what are some of the things that you've learned in working with addicts and, and witnessing some of the groups and the individual sessions and Dr. Blank's sessions? What are some of the things that may have been either reinforced or just new insights um, with the with the addicted patient? So I have learned so much, goodness. Uh, so definitely I have learned how to better identify those patients uh, that are going to come into our clinic that may have some already existing addiction, as well as uh, learning how to just identify some red flags where a patient might develop an addiction later on. Um, and just to screen better and just not to be so... Um, immediate in the prescription of certain drugs for patients um, because it definitely can lead to an onset of addiction. I've learned, again, as I mentioned earlier, how important the role of the family is in the uh, addiction process uh, of their loved ones and uh, just better uh, awareness, I would say, of addiction medicine. Definitely in slowing down the, the prescription. I, I think the whole program is a su- <laughs> success with that. I, um, I know that when a patient comes in with, with a lot of things going on in their life that's creating anxiety and, and pressures, that in that 7 to 10 minutes that you get to work with them, or 15 if you're lucky, um, there's a lot of pressure to write a script. Um, are, are you finding some ways in, in this process to have the dialogue with them to slow that down or to to um, make them ponder what's, what the, the, the next step should be? Absolutely. I think the physician and patient have to have a very heart-to-heart conversation uh, in discussing, you know, the best ways to treat their pain, to treat what's going on, uh, versus just writing a script to put a Band-Aid on something temporarily. Uh, as a doctor of osteopathic medicine, we have alternative techniques that we use to treat pain as well, such as osteopathic manipulative therapy. Um, you know, and I am definitely an advocate of other things such as acupuncture, um, meditation, and so forth. So we need to tr- um, address all avenues to deal with patients. And we also just need to learn also that addiction is not a choice. Addiction is an illness, and I think that we need to spread the awareness of that. Thank you so much. We're going to take a break. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about the prescription drug epidemic and how primary care doctors can help. Please stay tuned. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. 
Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. I have in studio today a very special guest, Dr. Pisha Houston, who is a resident with the Gwinnett Medical Center Family Practice Residency Program, and we thank them for allowing her to come with us today and be on the show. I also have David Donaldson, the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking a little bit about the role of the primary care doctor in terms of of helping to identify and manage addiction. Now, over the weekend, um, I was up in Louisville uh, talking to the Indiana and Kentucky uh, Societies of Interventional Pain Physicians, and we were talking as many different medical groups have been talking over the last couple of years, but we were talking about the prescription drug epidemic and the difficulty in terms of the number of prescriptions that have been written and the finger pointing that's gone back and forth between pain physicians and primary care and emergency room and surgeons and all of the groups that do write pain medications. But what has been very interesting to me is as we have spent more time dialoguing about this and more training has been sponsored by groups like SAMHSA and some of the REMS courses which are really important in terms of educating doctors about the risks the benefits, the side effects, the alternatives of different medications we're seeing a very remarkable phenomenon which is literally the number of prescription um, pain medications, but other prescription drugs, including things like Soma and including things like benzodiazepines, those prescribing patterns have changed dramatically. And as that has happened, we're seeing fewer prescription drugs that are being used in general and more appropriate use of the prescription drugs that are being written. So that's the good news. The unintended consequences, unfortunately, has been as the supply chain has dried up, 
we're seeing more people using heroin. So that's an important thing, um, and you mentioned it just before the end of the last segment, which is this is a brain disease, and it's not a choice. People all around the world, uh, the percentage of people with the disease of addiction remains pretty constant. The drugs they use may vary from place to place, Mm -hmm. depending on availability. But doctors are becoming more aware, and I think that's a real important uh, piece. And again, reflecting in the changes that we're seeing in medical school education and residency training and fellowship programs with more of an emphasis on proper prescribing watching for signs and symptoms of addiction, and also how to treat it. So when you look at patients, um, what drugs do you see uh, they're most likely to become addicted to? What, what are you seeing in your practice that makes you concerned for people? Uh, definitely the what we term relaxation drugs, the Ativan, um, the sleeping medications, those drugs are have become very uh, high in abuse risk, and we see a lot of patients coming in with that with initial complaints of insomnia, difficulty sleeping, uh, from excessive worry, worrying about job security these days, and household uh, stressors and so forth. So those are definitely the drugs that are most sought after in uh, primary care. Um, And I also wanted to point out the fact that, you know, we should erase our bias of um, classifying the addiction with demographics. You know, generally we like to say our lower income uh, patients are more susceptible, but heroin, for instance, this is an epidemic that is, you know, affecting all races, all demographics, and it's actually very widespread in the middle class community right now, Uh, and it's a huge problem that needs to be addressed. Dr. Blank's phrase that um, she regularly regularly uses is, you know, it's a brain disease and people will learn to love the drug they're with. Um, and, and so we've always seen that. The, the people that will come in and, and the only thing they have access to is huffing gasoline, that's what they'll be abusing. If the only thing they have access to is beer, that's what they'll be abusing. So we've been seeing that in, in the addiction world for a long, long time. But it's great that that the um, beginning to break stereotypes outside of the the addiction world. Because I think that's one of the things that leads us to overlook an opportunity to help somebody that may be slipping into trouble. If we think that people with addiction are the folks that are the homeless, that are the unemployed or the underemployed, if we think that they're the undereducated people and that because this person um, lives in a nice neighborhood and has good social skills and um, a good education, that they're okay, that we don't need to have our, not guard up, but certainly our awareness up, that it doesn't matter and you can't tell most of the time probably 90% of the time by looking at someone whether they have the disease of addiction or not unless they're very end stage Mm -hmm. most of the time they look just like you and they look just like me and we just have to be aware that this disease as you said cuts across everything and that everyone needs to be screened 
the questions need to be asked and certainly common things that we don't necessarily always appreciate but create a lot of havoc are things like tobacco and alcohol. They're not going to come ask you or ask me for a prescription for tobacco or alcohol. Now, pretty soon they are for marijuana, so that's a whole <laughs> nother discussion. But um, the idea that many times addiction doesn't have to involve our prescription pad at all. And you brought up an, an important point uh, when you mentioned screening. Uh, and this is something that I've learned at Atlanta Healing Center. You know, to ask that patient, have you taken a narcotic medication before? And if you have, did that medication make you feel wonderful? Like, you know, the world was just the most miraculous place ever? Or did that, that medication put you to sleep and make you feel awful but took your pain away? Um, and, you know, if the answer to that question is the former you know they could possibly have an addictive you know brain so we need to really watch those patients and prescribing those medications i actually was surprised recently to um be talking to a patient who had been learned had been educated before <laughs> had been learned had been educated before going to see the doctor um, by his peers of what to say when the doctor asks you about the first time you've taken opiates because the smart kids in this this internet society they've learned that you're trying to to fish out addiction when you ask that question um, um, fortunately what I've discovered is that most of the time their face gives it away before they <laughs> before their voice can begin telling you whatever story they're going to say but that's the other thing uh, that we have to always be aware of is the fact that there are many very smart people who are getting the word out about who's the doctor to go see that will be the pushover or write the prescription easily. What are the questions they're going to ask? What, how do I need to describe my symptoms of ADD so they'll give me some Adderall? How do I describe my symptoms of anxiety? So they are often one step ahead of us. Um, but the other thing that we, we know is that we, ha we have to constantly be learning. This is an evolving science. This is an evolving um, field of, of medicine and that the patients are figuring out new drugs. Uh, they are figuring out new ways to use old drugs. One of the things I learned at this conference was about a group of individuals that are finding medications that had been submitted to the FDA for approval for pain relief or anxiety or sleep, but didn't make it through the process. They're taking these molecules now, and they're marketing them for, and I'm using air quotes here, people, they're marketing them for research purposes, and they are submitting these molecules now, and people are purchasing them over the Internet. They're not illegal. They're not banned substances. They were just never through the FDA approval process, and that, in fact, there's one of them called UF475500, I think, <laughs> um, that has now, the DEA has now um, scheduled that as a Schedule One and banned it. So it's it's not beyond, I mean, it is beyond my imagination to think of the ways in which these very bright people are learning to manipulate molecules. 
They are learning to take old molecules and reuse um, them. And unfortunately, with some disastrous, I think there have been 47 people killed by this particular molecule, including a couple of young boys out in Utah. So this is, uh, they're always ahead of us, and we always have to keep our, our mind and our education up in terms of how are they going to beat our drug screens, how are they going to beat our screening tests, how are they going to uh, present themselves in order to get us to write them a prescription. Absolutely, and I think it's also important that patients realize just because you can get it over the counter, just because you can walk into a drugstore or a gasoline station and pick up a new herbal uh, medication that's on the, the the shelves, does not mean that medication is safe. And you need to be very, uh, you know, aware of what you're putting in your body. Absolutely. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about primary care. And and addiction. Thanks for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. I have with me in studio today Dr. Pisha Houston, who is a family practice resident at the Gwinnett Medical Center Family Practice Residency Training Program, and we are um, very happy to have their residents come through our programs. They're very helpful to me, I might add. Uh, Certainly when a patient starts describing some physical problems and issues that um, I need some help with, they're very helpful to me in giving me some new information and helping me with diagnoses. So I'm learning as much from them as they're hopefully learning a little bit from us. We also have David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center. I learn something from David every day, so I'm glad to have him around too. So thank you for being here, and I think this idea of having primary care doctors dealing with addiction, aware of addiction to the degree that I know that you are, will do a lot in terms of prevention. That's one of the things that we haven't done such a great job with. We have treatments for the illness once it's declared itself, but the interventions and the early warnings, that's one of the things that the ESPERT program and the research around that Espert is screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment. This is a program that um, is actually in some states, uh, not Georgia, but this is a screening program using the DAST, the Drug Abuse Screening Tool, to help identify patients that might be at risk, and then doctors will then intervene give them some suggestions, uh, warn them, educate them, and if needed, refer them to treatment. This program has been shown to be incredibly effective. Just a doctor suggesting to a patient that they decrease their use of alcohol or they decrease their use of tobacco has a very big impact, even if they've only spent a couple of minutes doing that. So, From a prevention standpoint, I think your specialty and other primary care specialties definitely can have a much bigger impact in terms of prevention and early intervention. So important. Definitely. And although at Strickland Family Medicine Center, our primary training center and clinic, um, we have a strong stance to not prescribe these medications, we are, as physicians, faced with patients who come in every day requesting pain medications or with pain complaints that we have to continuously address. Um, And I think it's very important to, um, you know, develop a good relationship with that patient and to be aware uh, that we need to screen every patient that comes in and ask those important questions. And I think with your osteopathic training, you mentioned that briefly at the end of the last um, segment, that gives you a whole um, toolbox full of alternatives and additional options that I didn't get trained in in my medical school program, but I think offer to your patients um, some real advantages. Could you talk a little bit about that type of training and how um, your manipulation and other kinds of um, 
options you have can be helpful to these patients. Sure, sure. Uh, so with osteopathic medicine, so I initially decided to become a DO because I wanted to have some other options in treating patients other than just medication and mm-hmm. our conventional, you know, Western philosophy of medicine. Uh, so that's how I came upon osteopathic medicine. And with our principle is to look at the whole patient. Every patient has a disease, but you need to look further. Every disease is different in every patient. And so we look at the whole body, the especially the musculoskeletal system, and how the body can fight disease and in different ways that we can foster that healing of that patient other than just writing a prescription. So, uh, and, you know, our patients see, you know, fantastic results mm-hmm. with these treatments. So, They really do. And, again, I think um, I see the work that you do as often being more preventative and early diagnosis, early recognition, and early intervention so that you can help the person with their pain issue before it's so severe that now they need surgery, now they need uh, significant doses of medication, and now they're really becoming incapacitated. I wish I had had more of that training and education because I think that is uh, such a value to patients and one of the ways that we can decrease some of the high utilization of medications. Yeah, and and patients, you know, there are some patients that are going to need pain management specialists to intervene, but, you know, a, a a large majority of these patients, like you said, we can intervene before things get that serious. Um, and that's going to, you know, reduce the cost, not only financially for these patients, but also reduce the emotional cost and the end result of, you know, becoming, com- going into a situation where they're dependent on these drugs and their, their whole lives are affected and mm-hmm. revolve around drugs and medications. I know recently um, there was a, a patient dealing with headache issues and, and was feeling kind of hopeless because this patient knows she's an addict and, and can't get um, um, what most people would get or what, what they hope people would get when they get that. <laughs> and so it was interesting to see with this person how um, you guys talk to her about headaches and, and how they can all be different and that she needs to keep a, pain, a headache journal for a while and you're actually able to download an app from the internet, I didn't know this was out there, where that would help her in tracking her headaches for a while so as to not just throw drugs at the at the problem but actually to stop and look at what might be causing it and mm-hmm. what might be some dietary changes or some lifestyle changes that might fix the situation rather than medication. Um, one of the addict strategies when families are trying to get them to stop addiction or to go into treatment is always delay, delay, delay. <laughs> and, and so in a sense, having that same strategy coming back that, no, we're not going to give medications yet. We're going to stop and look at what other mm-hmm. options might be there, I think, was, was quite effective. And a nice strategy in terms of rather than treat the symptom, let's see if we can figure out the cause and eliminate the cause or change the person's lifestyle, as you said, David, or their behavior in some way that may not take their headache away completely but may certainly help them not only have some ownership of the um, care that they 
receive and the medicines and the things that they put into their body, but also that they are really part of the treatment plan and that they have a lot of an impact on their own health. The old days of the paternalistic doctor who's going to do something to you as a patient and you just sit there and let (laughs) the magic happen, that doesn't work anymore. And we certainly need to have the patient aware that they are at the center of the treatment team and that they have responsibilities and also opportunities to make some changes that can make a big difference in their life. If, as you say, you look at the person and you recognize a disease process developing, again, that um, mindset that, that you have of evaluating the entire person, not just the complaint that they're coming in with, but the other things that you can see based on your experience and training that are early harbingers of this something bad might be coming down the pike but we can do this differently that's a that's a great gift to the patients they don't always like it because it's much easier to get a pill Mm -hmm. but it is something that can really impact their long-term health and primary care deals a lot with psychiatry, as you yes. can imagine. <laughs> and, you know, when a patient comes in with with a complaint as we're talking about headaches, we need to look further. What emotionally is going on with this patient? Uh, are they being stressed by work? Are they having family issues? Um, are they having trouble sleeping? All of those things, stress headaches, can, can lead to the migraine headaches. Um, you know, are you taking too much over-the-counter? medication that could be causing rebound headaches, those things. So you really need to talk to your patients, get a good history, really figure out what's going on. And medicine is a partnership. As you said, the days of the paternal physician are <laughs> gone, uh, and as it should be. Uh, medicine should be a partnership between you and your patient. I mean, the reality is if it wasn't for the patient, no one else would be there. So they, they are <laughs> the center <laughs> of, of the whole equation. Um, you mentioned earlier that one of the main medications of these categories that y'all have to deal with is people seeking the relaxing, the go-to-sleep, the amb- ambience and the nestas and those sort of things. What are, when, when somebody is, is coming at you with all these sleep issues and, and they really just want something to fix this problem, what is your approach to help them slow down and and to address that again my approach is to look at what's going on why aren't you sleeping is it because you're staying up till two in the morning watching walking dead uh, episodes uh and then trying to get up at 6 a.m and and being very lethargic at that point or is it that you're consumed with worry with what's going on with your life um or you know i really do focus also on sleep hygiene are you sleeping in a cool dark room um are you watching tv while you're trying to go to sleep which is a no-no are you on the computer or the ipad or your cell phone texting while you're trying to go to sleep those are all things that we look at what are you doing that could improve your Mm -hmm. sleep and and getting that sleep uh so we look we uh talk about sleep hygiene we want to try other things you know whether it be melatonin or meditation before bedtime other things that might help before we go and even think about prescribing a medication such as Ambien. It's so important and looking at things like caffeine 
and nicotine, mm-hmm. these um, can have a significant impact. It's very interesting when someone is a smoker and you ask them, what do you do when you wake up? Their complaint is, I go to sleep okay, but I wake up frequently during the night. And the first thing they're going to tell you is, well, I go have a smoke, maybe get a drink of water, go to the bathroom, and then I can go back to bed. Well, the reason they're waking up is because they're in nicotine withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And so some strategies around <laughs> around treating that uh, if they can't decrease their nicotine, maybe they can put on a patch, though that can cause some nightmares. But there may be some things that, that they can do that would be of greater benefit than just taking a sleeping med so they can sleep through their nicotine withdrawal. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about more ways in which primary care can be of great value to patients as they look at and struggle with addiction. Please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week as we explore all aspects of home and family defense as we strive to defend the ones we love in an ever-changing and volatile world. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. I'd like to thank David Donaldson and Dr. Houston for being a part of our show today. We're talking about the role of the family practice physician in not only recognizing but also treating the disease of addiction and helping with prevention and early intervention. So one of the questions that um, has come to mind for me is what do you do if you've recognized in a patient that they have symptoms or signs that would make you think, oh, this person has an addiction. What's your next move? How do you handle that? So the next step for me would be to, you know, identify, does this patient need some inpatient treatment, meaning that they need to be uh, admitted to a facility that could monitor them closely as they go through their withdrawals of not being on that drug Mm -hmm. or medication, or can they have some outpatient treatment um, and going to an outpatient facility to discuss their addiction uh, and go through things like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, So first you need to identify that. Um, But none of that is really going to matter if that patient hasn't reached a point where they're willing Mm -hmm. to discontinue the drug use. So you definitely have to screen for that and see where that person is in their road to recovery if that's something that they're at all even interested in. Um, and if it's not, that, that that's something that you need to really address as a physician at every visit with that patient uh, and not back down on that. Yes, understanding the stages of change and where they are in terms of their motivation I think is so important. It's hard. We recognize the disease, and we want them to get in there and get that get that handled, get that treated. But I think it's very wise, uh, your approach, in terms of, okay, I know this is a problem. I know this is what they need, but they're not at a, st- at a stage in their life. They're not in the stages of change. They may be pre-contemplative. They don't even think that's a problem, and they're mm-hmm. wondering why you're even asking about it. If they're at that stage... You have to step back and accept and continue to help motivate that person to and move at, forward. At, at that point, providing the education to help mm-hmm. them understand why it is that you're seeing this as a problem. In particular, somebody who um, who was prescribed medication for legitimate reasons, and so you know, their first reaction is going to be, well, my doctor put this on, put me on this, and so it can't be bad, and why are you bringing it up? And so in a, in a respectful way to explain that that particular medication has this risk, and I'm concerned that you're showing some signs and symptoms of that um, um, to help them move from that pre-contemplation place to a place of actually contemplating maybe I should go inpatient or maybe I do need some help. And I have to imagine that in your training program that you obviously spend time in the hospital as well as in the um, outpatient clinic setting, that patients come in, they are very ill or injured, and they're going to need to be on some of these medications. So 
does that come up? Is that something in your differential diagnosis, as we say? Um, how are you going to manage this patient that may have the disease of addiction and yet has to be exposed to these medicines? So when a patient does come in, it, we definitely need to be asking the question, have you had a history of addiction or had any problems with you know, substance abuse or with taking narcotic medication in the past ever? And if the answer to that question is yes, we need to closely monitor those patients for withdrawal symptoms. They need to be on the appropriate medications. Uh, for example, if they're going through an alcohol withdrawal or if they're taking nicotine, because obviously you're not going to be smoking in the hospital. So we need to make, um, you know, cert- we need to take certain steps for those patients. Um, but definitely if there's a history of narcotic addiction, we need to be very careful in the medications that we're giving them during their stay for pain Um, and something I've learned uh, at your center that you know morphine is uh, usually you know a safer route safer drug to manage the pain Um, less um, you know less tempting for the patients and less chance of, of, of relapse with that medication and also we need to be contacting you know their outpatient um treatment facilities and getting recommendations from their doctors there, uh, whether those patients need to be on methadone or suboxone or some other medication, we need to make those preparations during their hospital stay. I think that's um, a very uh, wise thing to do, to, to be considering, because certainly these patients deserve good pain relief. Uh, a, a risk for relapse is severe pain. <laughs> and just as a person might be at risk for a relapse if you give them their drug of choice, picking another medication that's less frequently abused, and then, um, uh, but also even if they have to take their drug of choice, uh, having a, a next step plan. How are you going to transition this person back to their everyday life and off of the medicines? And often that's something that their outpatient um, or their addiction medicine provider can help assist with making those plans and making sure that there is that continuity of care. Because I know that word continuity of care is really important in terms of uh, primary care to make sure that they're coming back to the providers that know them and that can help keep them safe and get them back on track. Mm -hmm. Very important. I'm reminded of um, how important it is to either get a really good history of the substances they've been using or if someone else gets it to really review it, even if that substance is caffeine. I was thinking of a person who was in the hospital for some totally unrelated issue and they were on morphine and Percocet and they still had massive headaches and nothing was stopping it (laughs) until someone brought them a cup of coffee and then it went away. So really finding out what have you been putting in your system, um, how often do you drink, even if you're not alcoholic, Mm -hmm. because we don't want you having those kind of issues while you're here in the hospital bed. Really important. Um, As a primary care doctor, one of the things that you can consider, and it's certainly something that I encourage primary care as well as pain management doctors, to get uh, a waiver from the DEA, the Drug Enforcement um, Administration, 
to be able to provide the buprenorphine products if you have someone in your practice that does have the disease of addiction because there's too few of us out there that are wavered and even fewer of us that are wavered that are actually providing this type of medication-assisted recovery. So that is something that I know is not part of your, your training program, but it's something certainly to consider that this may be a way that you can help those patients just like when Prozac came out and they're not going to go see a psychiatrist but they will see you and you can help them with their depression. I totally agree. I think we also really need to familiarize ourselves with the other medications that we can use to help Mm -hmm. uh, fight addiction like disulfiram um, Mm -hmm. etc. that are going to you know help uh, patients avoid alcohol, help patients uh, avoid their cravings for mm-hmm. the drugs and medication. So definitely that is, is going to play a big part in medicine and treating this disease. So what are next steps for you in terms of your upcoming future? <laughs> so yeah, so next steps for me is uh, I'm going to finish up residency in June if everything goes as planned. <laughs> uh, and then start my uh, official uh I guess, stint of practicing as a family medicine physician without the direct supervision that that we have uh, right now. Um, And I hope to definitely continue my learning in addiction medicine and also focus some on integrative medicine um, and continue to practice osteopathic medicine in my practice. I think that's awesome, and I, I have really appreciated you've actually rotated with us twice. We feel very honored, and it's been a pleasure having you. Learning from each other, I think, is the way that we are all going to be the most successful because, unfortunately, there are still too many people dying of the disease of addiction, and it is one of the preventable causes of death, and it is something that all of us can have a much greater impact the more we know, the more we listen to each other, and the more we listen to our patients and their families, we can have a much better idea of what's going on and we can be much more effective in our interventions if we keep on talking and keep on doing the things we need to do to keep these patients safe. Yes, thank you Dr. Blank for having me and thank you David. Thank you for being a part Mm -hmm. of this. It's really, really great. And thank you, Gwinnett Medical Center, for uh, allowing Dr. Houston to be with us today. And we thank all of you for listening. We look forward to seeing you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.